Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think we must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Hello there and welcome again to the Arrow Man in Stockholm podcast, the podcast that brings you behind the scenes of the media and journalism worlds. And as I record this for you, dear friends, it is the dog days of December 2018, between Christmas and New Year, and it's a time for reflection. It's also a time to sum up the year that has just passed, as well as an opportunity to play with some of the technological gifts that you may have been lucky enough to receive from Santa. One of the high points is always the lists of the best photographs and photographers of the year. For me, the best news photography is both simple, yet damn near impossible for the man or woman in the street to recreate. Many of us in journalism fall into the trap of thinking that if we just throw thousands and thousands of euros at it and buy a shed load of equipment, then we too will be able to recreate what these outstanding photojournalists can do. We can't. Sometimes the stars will align and we will get a brilliant picture, but that is the exception rather than the rule. And yet, photojournalism is valued perhaps less than ever. I'm forever hearing horror stories, particularly from the sports world, of outstanding photographers working for a pittance. Newspapers and media outlets are dumping photographers in favour of either buying images from agencies or worse still, having non-photographers like me take pictures and pretending it's the same thing. Their value in the eyes of publishers and consumers may have diminished, but this year's best examples show that the power of the pictures hasn't. A great editorial photograph can take your breath away, tell a story and change how you feel all in an instant. Some of the most important journalism ever, from the shooting of Lee Harvey Oswald to the death of refugee Alan Kurdi, has been in the form of photojournalism. I've been privileged to work alongside some of the very best on my travels, and one of them is Dylan Martinez, Reuters chief photographer in the UK and Ireland. This year I shared an apartment with him and Reuters California-based photographer Mike Blake during the Winter Olympics, and it was fascinating to hear how they work and think, and how they see the future. So with the year coming to a close, I gave Dylan a shout earlier on this week, and I started our conversation by asking him how he got into photography. Oof. Uh, well, I was very young. I was about uh, 14 or 15 at school, and um, embarrassingly, I was rather rubbish at everything, football, science, English, maths. And I somehow managed to... Um, I picked up a camera. My, my uh, mother gave me a camera, and I just loved the noise of it. And the first roll of film I took, I actually very accidentally took quite a nice picture. And I thought, oh, this is quite fun. Let me try and do this again. And so basically, cut a long story, it was the first thing I did that I wasn't useless at. <laughs> and you've been doing it ever since. Yeah, there you go. Well, what was it that got you? Was it the composition? Was it uh, like in the fluky first picture that you, that you took? Was the sense of achievement? Well, I, honestly, I don't want to underestimate the sound. I love the sound and the feel and the and the mechanics of the camera. So there was all that about it. But in fact, the, the picture that on my first roll of film, there was a, a very it was a very sort of nice composition where there was a man in the foreground, a, a tree, a house. So there was about four different things that all made it sort of work together. And of course, it was by accident. But when I put it together, I thought, oh, wow, that's OK. <laughs> now I just have to recreate this several million times and I can make a career of it. 
be perfect. Yeah. And how did you get into press photography? Because there's a couple of different ways you can go, right? You can go down the route of fashion photography, product photography, but you've wound up working, wound up working for one of the biggest news agencies in the world. How did that come about? So when I first started, I was really into music. And I don't know if you remember publications such as Enemy and Sounds that used to be quite important when I was Yes, growing. I am that old. Yes. So uh, I started there. I started at Sounds and Enemy and there was a, a nightclub I worked for. So I was very, I really liked the music angle. Um, and that, that taught me a lot about technically how to do things. But my life, I, I think from such an early age, I remember uh, at home, we used to get the Guardian and me reading the paper at a young age and thinking, God, that would, I'd really like to be there where that stuff is happening. So I think for me, it's news has always been there. And although I did love music and I sometimes think, oh, maybe I could have gone down that road and become like a, you know, not somebody as good as Mark Seliger or something like that. One of these major portrait photographers. Um, and I loved it, but there was something that I was just drawn to news and it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep away from it is what it's what excited me. There you go. Um, we've I've had the pleasure of your company on several occasions down through the years in various different corners of the world and I'm always amazed with the amount of uh, what we call war stories things that have happened to you as they go along is there <laughs> anything in particular that sticks out as a news photographer as you know you sort of think to yourself I'm delighted I was there to see that story to document that story you know I, I don't it's, it's, it sounds so trite but Honestly, since day one, I can remember Windsor Castle burning down. I can remember a very horrible event at Hagley School. I remember the, the handover of Hong Kong to uh, from uh, Britain to China, uh, the New Year 2000, World Cups, Olympics, wars. You know, I, really, I know, I know this sounds like I'm just fobbing you off, but I've really loved it all. That's what's That's what's so great about this job is that one day you're like, wow, that's never going to be better than that. I remember thinking about a World Cup, uh, I did a Wimbledon final between Sam Press and um, an, Aussie, uh, an Aussie bloke, his name has escaped me. And it was the mega final that ended at nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. And everyone thought we're never going to get a better one. Um, Sam Press won his record 13th Grand Slam. And then, and I thought, well, that's it. That's Wimbledon. Never going to get better. A year later, Goran Ivanovic played a sort of three-day final with uh, Tim Henman, and that was better than the one before. So <laughs> we always think what we're going to do is the best, but actually what's so great about our job is the best one is just around the corner. Yeah, there's always something new coming along. And it, it's kind of a shame in some way when you think of all the great sort of soccer matches we've seen and all the great sort of, you know, G8 summits uh, and, you know, the Berlin Wall coming down. But, I mean, it really does become sort of, you know, tomorrow's chip wrappings uh, very, very quickly. Um, what makes a good news photographer? Because you specifically chose really to leave the music business uh, and to chase news. What what makes a good news photographer in your eyes? You've got to love it. Number one, like anything in that you want to do well, you have to really love news and be interested in it and be excited by it, which I am. And I, I think, again, maybe this is wrong, but I think some people have it or not. There are Sometimes you can talk to people about a story and they think, oh, that's not a story. And other people who know news know that's a story. Mm. And the people who know that, who just get right from that, that, that is a story. And we need, to, we need to really concentrate on that because all the other stuff is just noise. But this is the most important thing. And it, maybe, <laughs> sorry, I think I have that. 
I think yeah. it, it is, you know, it's what the, in university when you study these things, it's what they call news sense. It's being able to sort of sense, okay, that's a story, that's not. This is worth investing the time in and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, do you ever find yourself uh, in this multimedia world we live in now where you have text reporters and TV reporters and photographers, do you find that everybody agrees on what a story is or do you find that they disagree more often than not? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in the end, we all agree. Because it's a story, you know, I think people might try to make something a story and that they really push it, really push it. And it might be in a newspaper's agenda to say this is a story, but it doesn't catch on. Everybody knows in the end, the truth will out, let's say. Yeah. The best stuff really does rise. Yeah. Of course, it's a different sort of a challenge when you go to tell a story with still images, right? You know, if you're going to tell a story with video, the rules are, you know, you, you have your establishing shot and then you have a medium shot and then you have a tight shot and then you have a sound bite and it's all pretty standard, you know, so it's quite easy to do. But uh, Reuters has a series called The Wider Image where a photographer will be given the time and the resources to go and to tell a story like with the recent migrant caravan in uh, going through from Honduras to Mexico and that kind of thing. How do you tell a story? of that scale with still images how would you plan that as a news photographer you know the, there's only one you have to be there yeah. and you and it's the people who wake up earliest and go to bed late get the best pictures and it's really as simple as that and it's the it, genuinely the best photographers are the work that people who work the hardest and it, it's never a coincidence and i've often been on stories where when i first started and you realize, wow, man, that, that they were good, or he or she was taking some great pictures. And you saw that they were up first thing, and they were last to bed and first to wake. And quite often, that is the difference. Mm -hmm. Hard work. Uh, there was, you are now, of course, management in this situation. It's a situation I never thought I'd saw where like, people are reporting to Dylan Martinez because yeah. in my eyes, you were always a kind of a maverick. You were always the guy who was first out and last in. And it wasn't that you weren't capable of taking responsibility, but it never seemed to me uh, that you wanted to take that responsibility. I always thought you wanted to be out there. But now I look at sort of, you know, there's a photographer under you called Hannah McKay who was on that story and the Mexican border. How do you find new young photographers like Hannah? I thought her pictures out of that story were brilliant. But how do you discover them? Do you look through local papers? Do you take recommendations? What do you do? You know, I've, I've, um, I've had a hand in employing a lot of photographers at Reuters over the time, you know, and nine times out of 10, it is simply attitude that is the thing that there's a million photographers out there and they understand it. They have a basic skill and got it, but it's really just the attitude and the thing that when I look at, um, Hannah, for example, when I first met her, there was something, although her, her pictures were, had a lot to be desired still, there was just something about her, her can-do, no, don't never give up hmm. attitude that just pushed her to the forward. And, and quite often there was a, well, I used to be based in Italy and there was a photographer. And whenever I saw him, he, was, he just happened to be in the right place. And I kept thinking, man, that guy's always in the right place. Yeah. And then, then we started working together and I saw he could take a good picture as well. But really... The best advice I was once given was um, I'd rather have a lucky photographer than a good photographer. <laughs> I remember a few years ago, actually, this is, uh, or well, it must be 2011 or so, and I took a picture of a sane bolt, which is actually on the Reuters file somewhere, right? And he was being presented with, I think it was somebody from Asia, I think it might have been South Korea, we're having the World Athletics Championships. And I happened to be standing on a stage with a sane bolt below me and two Asian people below him again. Now, he's huge, but them standing below him made him look like an absolute giant. And it ended up being that Pavel, who's the chief photographer of Reuters, went, yeah, I'll have that photograph. And it was totally lucky. It was pretty much like the first time you 
you are given a camera by your mom and that kind of thing. So it is, and it's the only decent photograph I've ever taken in my entire life. You know, <laughs> I decided to you know to retire after that. But you mentioned there that um, in terms of Hannah's development, and I hate to speak about people's you know by name here, right? But you said that you know she had a little bit maybe to learn as a photographer. How active can you be as a boss, as a manager, and saying you know what, next time you should think of doing this or changing that? Can you coach people in the job, or is that something you don't really have time to do? I think you can, but it's not something I really, I don't really like to tell photographers what to do or how to do it. I'd like to say, okay, this is a story, go there, see what you've done. And then we might look at, look back and say, you know what, maybe if you'd have done this or look that way or something that could have been different, but actually, and then, you know, we can, we, we can help photographers a lot by, there was an example, Hannah sent some pictures in from a story that she did. And then somebody came up to her during because it's all live right so there was, mm. there was a, a memorial on um westminster bridge it was just after an attack and she took this very beautiful picture of people throwing roses into the thames we cropped it it, it was a quite a nice crop to just the hands and the roses and someone said came up to her this is what she told me and said oh that's a fantastic picture i love it and she's oh no it's not mine <laughs> and she didn't realize that it, she had taken it but we had seen a picture within her picture and then she realized oh, okay but i tell you what next time she would know that that picture was there yep. that ready for it so it's people who if you'd have to tell them twice then they're slow learners but somebody like Hannah or I can go on lots of people yeah they they understand oh okay and they learn and they look what's been going on and you look at the best photographers in the world and that's what I tell everybody who comes to see me I said yeah you're good but this guy or this woman or this photographer does it better so why don't you try to be as good as them because there's no point being the second best right if hmm. you're going to be a great portrait photographer you want to be one of the greatest portrait photographers ever why look at somebody who's who's sort of okay and think oh i want to emulate them no i want to emulate the person at vanity fair or um vogue or whatever it is that's what they should be looking for how competitive is it because usually you know for listeners to this podcast they'll know that we're at the olympics and we're at the world cup right and we usually have associated press sitting beside us and we know those guys and we love those guys and we drink beers with them in the, in the bar afterwards right but we are really looking to sort of rub their noses in it and to get the absolute best texts and the best pictures we can out there how competitive is that even if there is a sense of camaraderie yeah <laughs> everybody's competitive but as I've got older, unfortunately, what I've realized is actually it doesn't matter what anyone else does. The only thing that's important is what we do and what my team or myself. And that if we have it, we're going to be okay. And I know that if, I, if I'm if i somewhere and I'm clever, I can get what the pictures I need. Um, and so I'm not too worried about, you know, the competitive thinking, oh, I wonder what AP are doing or AFP or whatever. You know, good luck to them. But yeah. we may as well just do our own thing because right now there's so much out there that to be competitive, that what's the point that you stand there and go, oh yeah, that was my picture or, or their picture's the same. I'm going to take a better one, slightly different. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things you mentioned there about the, the cropped picture there from Westminster Bridge and that kind of thing, I think one of the things that a lot of people aren't aware of is what's acceptable in terms of Photoshop, in terms of treatment and that kind of thing. So could you just explain to me from an editor's perspective, if I take a picture and send it to you, what's it okay for you to do and what can you not do with that picture? You can't alter the reality of it. That's the most important thing, I think. Um, there, there, there is a kind of a, a saying that what could be done in a dark room can still be done, but actually I don't uh, buy that because in a dark room you couldn't change things by point of a percentage, and on a Photoshop you can. So 
really, I can tell you the just the barest minimum at Reuters. Make sure that you can expose your your, uh, your frame because once it's exposed properly, and then everything else is fine. So somebody who is technically very good can expose and make sure you've got the right white right balance white balance. That's really really important. If people are on the wrong ones, then you have to spend hours trying to Photoshop it to correct it to make it look right. But if I tell you, if you give me a well exposed picture. All I need to do is crop it, and that's not changing anything because we we only have a certain amount of lenses with us. I would crop light and dark and very uh, basically, but I wouldn't do different parts of the frame. So I think Reuters, for us, it's very expensive, very important that if you're going to darken the image, you need to darken the whole image. You can't just darken the corner to make it a little bit more sexy because you know there's there's somebody's arm, let's say, in the in the bottom left hand corner that's annoying, and if I darken it, I get rid of that. Well, then you have changed reality, and you should never do that. And that that's not allowed. That's but you one. you can crop it. You can pick out a detail, or you can you can lift a detail, or, or that kind of thing. But you can't well, you sort of crop, you could crop the, the the finger out, whatever. Let's say that the, the hand out, yeah, um, the foot in the bottom right hand corner. But then you would crop everything else that's in that that part of the frame so it might be that right next to that really annoying foot is a, a flower that you want let's say um so you have to make you you know you have to go and say well you know there's the foot there that's all right i think people get they want everything to be perfect they don't want this they don't want that but if you're a photographer and you're making the right decisions at the right time and it's the best there is it's actually very freeing it, mm. genuinely it's a very freeing i think some people spend hours photoshopping trying to recreate getting rid of high-vis jackets in the background no, that's that's cheap, man. Reality. We all see it. We all see what what the reality is out there, and we all can see that when somebody's picture has really big background and light in the face, it's like, well, I I've, I've lived in my life, and I've never seen a person <laughs> face look like that with that kind of background. So, how has that happened? Yes, it's just not possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, with smartphones and uh, digitalization being ubiquitous nowadays. I mean, obviously, that's a threat to the news photographer, the editorial photographer. Uh, so how important is, is your role and the role of your team in terms of delivering the news? Because no matter how much we say it, I will never be Hannah McKay. I will never be Dylan Martinez. I just can't. I can't do that. And yet it's expected by some media organizations that I'm going to go out there and take pictures. So how important is your role and how do you defend that role then uh, before your colleagues? Well, I think there's a, there's a sort of... the slight misconception is that um that every woman on the phone can do breaking news now breaking news is so many things so breaking news for example could be the story in gatwick this morning where mm. there's a whole bunch of people who are stranded because nightmare you know just before christmas their drones flying over so they can't get in so that's breaking news in gatwick or two days ago there's breaking news in manchester and jose Mourinho was fired right yeah. so for me the we, we had a we made sure that we had a real photographer outside following Mourinho and got really great pictures because that can't be done on a phone outside a, as he drives past you outside a, a hotel. And for, in Gatwick as well, we've relied on, we've got a, somebody actually, you know, because there are so many people there, uh, one of the people in the office has got a, a sister there and she's taken some great pictures. Now they are great pictures, but, and they've helped us out because they show the, just the chaos and everything that's mm. there. But we have also sent a photographer down there and he's, snuck into the airport, taking a few pictures of people looking sad. And now he's out trying to photograph the marksmen who are going to try to shoot the plane, um, the drone down, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, Yes, so you, you look at every everything in in its own little space. So 
what do we want from UGC? It's called user generated content from Gatwick has actually been really helpful. We've got some beautiful pictures from somebody on an iPhone who's right there because actually she's got a kid and she's stuck around with hundreds of people all looking at a screen. That's an interesting picture that, that we can't because we can't actually physically allowed to be there can take. So if somebody's there can take it and we're telling her, Oh, can you do a bit of this and do a bit of that? Then, then it works out. But really in the end, I've, Maybe this is controversial. All the best pictures are taken by uh, trained journalists. This is a listener-supported podcast. All my journalism here on Patreon is free, but if you can contribute the price of a cup of coffee every month, please do. In the coming months, I'm planning to be on the ground reporting about how different places in Europe are solving their homeless crisis. This kind of reporting costs money, and I cannot do it without your support. You'll find all the details on patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. If we're going to insist on having user-generated content in breaking news settings, or, you know, it, like if you're going to ask me, if I'm going out to interview Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and you say to me, oh, we'll take a picture with your phone because I don't have anybody to send with you, what does the man in the street or woman in the street need to think of in that situation? Can you give any sort of, you know, off-the-cuff tips to help people to take better pictures with smartphones? Should they just well, use the automatic settings, or how should they yeah. do things? You work, use the automatic settings and work from the background. So... The picture starts at the back. So if you see behind me, there are two rather annoying pictures yeah. there. Th Neither of which were taken by you, it has to be said. No, but let, let's say, so I would, if, if I was, um, when I was doing it, if I was doing a portrait of myself, I'd probably try to set myself next to a window, make sure that there's a dark or a light background, or, or let's say in the background it had a great big cross or something that, that symbol, symbolized me. So if something in the background was telling me more about myself, but yes, yeah, so I, the, the best thing is you work from the background and actually the last thing you look at is what is your foregrounder. So let's say Ibrahimovic in your case. Yeah. So, so you'd like, you know, put him in front of me, you know, some big gray apartment block in Malmo, that kind of thing to get across his character, so to speak, rather than. Exactly. Yeah. So else. always go start from the back and work forward. And I th honestly, that is probably a, a simple tip for anybody. You know, in all the years I've known you, I've never actually heard that tip before. And I've been pumping you and Mike Blake and Bob Strong and all these great photographers for years. I should ask this question years ago, you know. Um, one of the things that is uh, ubiquitous as well now is it's not just, you know, smartphones that make life easier, right? When we go to the World Cup or these G8 summits or whatever, you have an incredible amount of technology now, uh, say at a World Cup soccer game, right? So, you know, without giving away any trade secrets, could you just tell me maybe how many photographers you would use to cover a Premier League match and what kind of cameras they have and you know are they manned or unmanned do you use remote controls you know how does the the technological setup look like uh, at a big event so let's if we just take a, a standard premier league match yep. which is a big deal we would have uh, two photographers one at each end um and they would be filing off nine times out of ten a cable so the the premier league teams have put in uh land cables as yep. behind the goals and so we can plug in there and what happens is you take a picture and the moment you've taken it you can look at the back back of the camera press two buttons and then within depending on your speed of line within 10 to 15 seconds or five seconds depending on how, how good your your 4g is you can have a picture at our head office in london there's somebody there he's looking at it yep he or she is looking at it, edits it, crops it, gives it to somebody else. They make sure that everything is right in the caption, so it's gone through somebody else, and then it's in the client. So really, if um, 
let's say there's a, a nice goal in a, in a football match and that happens, the, the client should be looking at that goal picture within two minutes. Yeah. Really. I mean, and that, that's not that particularly fast. Yeah, you also have sometimes you have phones either in the goal or phones. You have uh, cameras either in the goal or behind the goal or that kind of thing. How do they work? Is that the same thing with cables and that kind of thing? Yeah. <coughs> yes. So there, there are two ways to do that. There is um, you can buy what's called a pocket. It's actually a make. It's called a remote. Uh, the most famous brand is a pocket wizard, and that's so that one come one comes on your the camera that I'm working on and another sits on the camera behind the goal and when I take a picture with the camera I'm working on that automatically fires the one behind the goal mm -hmm. or I can set up a cable that runs from the camera behind the goal to my foot and whenever I want to press take a picture I press my foot and the, the picture behind the goal takes a takes a take frame but I can't I physically can't do that because all I never look at is my look at my foot and go what's my foot doing <laughs> Just a little bit of toe tapping there, that kind of yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm dead useless. Yeah. How many pictures would you take uh, at your standard Premier League game? Do you reckon? Oof. Well, let's say it's a, a normal one. I guess you got two cameras. I, I, I think in the end you're probably looking at um, more. You're looking at a few hundred, right? Four, yeah. five, six hundred, maybe. And you know, would you? And then would you go back over them then after the game and say, oh, I like this one? You know, you might see something that you didn't see beforehand or do you just dump them all in a folder somewhere and leave them? So, so what we do is, is as, as the, the, the game is going on, you're sending live to your desk. So the, the moment there's a goal, the moment there's a tackle, the moment there's a red card or whatever it is that you're celebrate, you know, somebody celebrates a goal or whatever the moment is, the mm. manager in his head in hands, you should be sending that within seconds. Yeah. Right? Um, so yes, yeah, so at the end of the game, I do just go back and think, oh, did I miss something on there? Was there? Oh, did you know that there was a this dodgy tackle that people were talking about that we didn't see? Mm -hmm. And you go back and you look and say, oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, maybe there is something strange about that tackle. Let's send it again. Mm -hmm. um, but really, once that day is done. I'm on to the next game. Yeah. Once I've left the yeah. I'm always very jealous of you because, you know, I'd be just sitting down to start writing some in-depth match report thing and you're going, right, we're off to the pub, we'll see you later on kind of thing. But on the, the other side of that is, is it a very stressful thing to do, not just sports now, but, you know, politics, general news, because you kind of get one chance to take that photograph that's going to be the front page, the back page of, uh, of tomorrow's newspaper and you really don't want to screw that up, do you? No, but that's what makes it fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was really easy then I guess everyone no that's the best part is you come away and you go <gasps> or you go oh and those are the moments of what you live for the happiness and the you know I, I sometimes when I'm there at these events I think oh you know people pay a lot of money to feel that buzz and we've just got it for free right you're actually getting paid for sitting there and doing these things yeah there you go and people are paying you know big big money for some drug that will give you that buzz and I think that's part of it the getting it not getting it being there and making sure that the whole world can see what it's like to be there. Yeah, I love it. What What's the best picture you never took? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole chapter on that, right? <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. The, well, yes, the, you would just... The, I mean, the, there were back in times when I was had film and the, the, the film... I didn't load it properly and things would... Uh, negatives were destroyed. Yes, I mean, what were there? I, <laughs> oh no there are so many nightmares so many times where you the worst one of the worst things was when i really first started out at reuters and i was just starting and i went to my first olympics which was in lilyhammer in 94 mm. and i was and it was the opening ceremony 
and I don't, it was, it was minus 30, it was unbelievably cold, and, and they, they sent me to some spot at the top of a mountain to look down on the bowl of the, um, of the stadium, mm. and it was, I, mean, I can't tell you, it was so cold, there was me and a Newsweek photographer standing on this ledge, we set up our cameras with, um, on tripods, it's trying to keep warm in the car and then as soon as the fireworks started we ran out and started going like this and i realized as soon as the fireworks were over that my camera had somehow must have been my fault move settings everything so the whole the whole of that moment of the opening ceremony huge fireworks didn't exist (laughs) but this is the days of film so i've got a roll of film and i'm thinking maybe i'll get away with it maybe i'll drive back down to the the press center give the film in and about two hours later the boss goes hey i never saw dylan's film and um the film came out and it was completely blank and he picked it up threw it across the room at me and said someone tell dylan how to shoot fireworks (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you don't forget that one that's that stuck with me (laughs) but he was right i i I tell you what i haven't messed up fireworks since then my my own horror story was with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I was filming an interview that I was doing with him up in uh, in Norway in Oslo Norway and I just interviewed Egil Drillo Olsen who used to coach Wimbledon but in when Egil was finished he was wearing one of these uh, lapel microphones right and without taking the microphone off he just walked off right with the result that he, some little wire came loose but I only had like literally two minutes to talk to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so I put the thing on him and I just started but I never put the headphones on so he gave me this brilliant interview right and this was for Reuters television they gave me this brilliant interview where he said um, I think Ryan Giggs will be a brilliant next manager for Manchester United yada 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 he went on and on and you're standing there and you're thinking freelancer too I'm thinking ka-ching here we go and um so I called the Reuters sports desk. I said, okay, hold everything, hold everything. This is coming to you now. This is your Premier League story of all time, this kind of thing. And then I put it into the computer, and the only sound I got was... <sighs> and not only that, but a few months later, when he was appointed manager of Cardiff City, they rang up for the TV sports desk going, didn't you have some interview with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that we could buy? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was, today, actually, you never know. Well, that, that was the thing. No, but I never did it again. I never did it again. I'm sitting here talking to you with headphones on. I can hear you. I can hear me. The whole time. I'll never do that again. You know? yeah. Anyhow, Dylan, uh, what does the future hold for news photography? Because this is a very turbulent time in the business in terms of there's a lot of people <coughs> do, doing journalism, but um, you know, journalists and photographers are having a hard time making it pay. Where do you see this going? Are we going to have like you know a sort of a Premier League of of photojournalists like yourself with you know the likes of me struggling under you, or where do you see it going? You know what, this is a tough time, I will say, but when I first started, they everybody said, there's no way you can get a job in, it's so competitive, there's no work out there, and I always thought, you know what, somebody has to do it, and I still believe that, I still believe that however tough the times are, and they've never been tougher in the media, I'd say, somebody still has to do it, somebody still has to be there, there is a, there is a massive appetite and market for what we do Reuters in a way is trying to position itself like a lot of companies to make some money out of what we do but they will always need I really genuinely believe I know I know it's sort of there's a lot of doom and gloom but I genuinely believe that we will always somebody has to do it and it may as well be me 
Well, I think the reason that you survived in this business for so long for all your faults and little hammer and everything else is well, you were by far, uh, actually just to finish, the first time I ever saw one of your pictures was in the Reuters office. You know, the first time I remember seeing your name was in 2002 and it was a picture from the 1998 World Cup. I can't even remember exactly what was in it, but I remember looking at the byline down the corner and said Dylan Martinez. I was going, okay, you know, that must be some South American whiz kid kind of thing, you know. And then gradually over the years I had the, the honour and the privilege of getting to know you and to work alongside you. And the reason you're still there and the reason you're still going to be there until you decide to quit is because you're among the absolute best that they are. Thank you very much for talking <laughs> to me, my nice. friend. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Dylan Martinez there, Reuters Chief Photographer in the UK and Ireland. Uh, an incredibly fascinating guy. I could listen to him for hours on end talking about the pictures he's taken uh, and where he's done it and that kind of thing. Some amazing stories there. Shortly after our conversation, it was revealed that Hannah McKay, the young photographer we mentioned during our conversation, had been voted Agency Photographer of the Year. Uh, and that came as a surprise to neither of us, a very, very talented young photographer who's going to go from strength to strength. Over the next few days, pay attention to the pictures that you are seeing online in your newspapers and to where they're coming from. You'll quickly start to see the difference between the shots taken by the pros and those taken by happy amateurs who are paid accordingly. Thanks to everyone who has listened this year and to who has read journalism and who has interacted and shared stuff and everything else like that. I am deeply grateful to you all. Remember that this podcast of my journalism is for you and supported by you. So please get in touch if there's anything you'd like me to cover here. Until next time, be kind to yourselves. Yeah.